Hi, my name is Duffy Robbins, and uh, it was my privilege to be here at Faith Bridge Church today. I preached a sermon on communication. Uh, after the sermon, I want you to tune in to Postscript because we're going to talk about a kind of a hard question, a tough question about white lies. Hope you enjoy the sermon. Thanks for listening. Take care. And good morning. Good to see you. Always great to be here at Faith Bridge. Thanks so much for joining us here in West and over in East. Uh, good to see you guys as well. Thanks for being here today. And if you're joining us live stream, uh, fantastic. We're delighted to have you part of the Faith Bridge uh, family. Uh, quick, quick question to start off. How many of you um, are, are fans of Starbucks? Let's say you go there at least once a week. Raise your hand. Once a week. Okay, the people who seem to be awake. Uh, I am not, uh, you know, full disclosure, I'm not a big uh, Starbucks uh, heavy user, uh, but uh, supposedly one of the, um, one of the kind of uh, unique features of Starbucks culture is how the uh, barista misspells your name uh, when they write it on the cup. I, I don't know if this is a thing or not, but so for example, let's say you, you say my name is Amy, then on the cup, they spell Amy. <clears throat> Or then there's Alan, uh, you know, or, or <clears throat> you say, oh, my name is Oliver. Okay, Oliver. And, uh, you know, or, or you say, uh, oh, my name is uh, Brian with a Y. Okay, Briny. Uh, <laughs> or or, or uh, my name is Mark with a C. Fine, Kark. Good to have you in the store today. <laughs> and then there's Lord Voldemort. Uh, and, and, and then my favorite... Um, you can sort of tell this girl's name is Margot, and, and, and so, you know, she starts spelling it out, M-A-R-G-E-A-U-X, and the breeze is like, <laughs> you know, just whatever, just add a whole bunch of consonants. <laughs> but we're starting this morning because I want to begin with a very, very simple uh, fact, and we see it in something, frankly, as simple as just giving someone your name. Communication is hard. Communication is hard. So say we want to say, uh, saying it in a way that's clear for the person to whom we say it, saying it in a way that builds bridges in, instead of burning them. Uh, it, it's not easy. And then uh, using our communication in a way that really honors Christ, um, it's a difficult and uh, sometimes risky proposition. I think allowing Jesus to be Lord of our mouths is one of the toughest parts about Christian discipleship. Uh, uh, and, and if most of us know this morning that communication is hard, we've probably also noticed that in our culture today, communication is increasingly toxic. Um, I don't know how many of you saw the uh, HBO miniseries on Chernobyl, the nuclear disaster uh, that came out this past spring. It was amazing. I, I highly recommend it. But um, it documents in chilling detail the, uh, the ex series of explosions that destroyed uh, the Chernobyl reactor number four on April 26, 1986. And in the aftermath of the, of the cleanup and the horrible cost uh, in property and human life that resulted uh, from that explosion. And if you did watch the series like I did, you, you, you likely are not able to forget those scenes of, of Russian workers in the rubble of this exploded nuclear reactor with what amounted to almost homemade uh, protective gear as they were exposed to deadly doses of radioactive rays. Of course, at first, um, they couldn't see and, and, and didn't really believe, uh, understand 
that they were facing uh, any real risk, but what they came to discover is that they were working in a landscape that was cancerous and, and deadly and, and highly contaminated, and, and even though they couldn't see it and weren't aware of it, the exposure to the radioactive poison uh, was killing them. It was killing them. What I want us to consider this morning uh, as we talk about communication is, is, is that in our increasingly uh, toxic culture, our mouths, our mouths have become like explosive reactors uh, spewing out poisonous uh, conversation that, 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 that contaminate our national airways and our everyday dialogue in ways that we probably don't even realize. And, 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 and whether we know it or not, uh, it's, I wonder if maybe we're in grave danger of creating a new Chernobyl, a new Chernobyl, a poisonous landscape in our, in our country of, of, of anger and deceit and slander and, and evil talk, a poisonous landscape that, that's killing us. It's a serious matter, communication. Now, we've touched on the idea of communication over the last few weeks in an ongoing series that we've been doing here at Faith Bridge called Life Under Construction. Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. In other words, one of the most obvious ways that people should be able to identify uh, a Christian tree, a tree that is rooted in Christ, is by listening to what kind of verbal fruit uh, grows out of your mouth. You don't just, you don't just uh, in, give your heart to Jesus. You give him your tongue. You give him your, your, your texts, your posts. You give him your very words. And so this week uh, and next, we're going to continue our study uh, on this series, Life Under Construction, uh, by, uh, by looking at a passage of Scripture in which the Apostle Paul talks to us in very, very pastoral and, and practical terms about how we can invite Jesus into our mouths. So uh, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. This is in the New Testament. Uh, you see these guys meandering to the front here. Uh, if you have a uh, desire to have a Bible or you'd like to read through, but you don't have one, just raise your hand. These folks are going to distribute them to you. And, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible, you want to take this one home with you, you can take it as a gift from your friends here at Faith Bridge. Um, we're going to post this passage up on the screen so that you can follow along. But uh, let, let's read together uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we'll begin in verse 17. The Apostle Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger." And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share 
with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I, I think um, most of us would agree here this morning that we are living in an age that offers us uh, uh, more and more means of communication, perhaps more than we've ever had before uh, in human history. But I think most of us would also probably agree that with all of our technologies, uh, it seems like we have in some ways less and less uh, real connection. Um, I, I saw a study that, that, that uh, showed that six years ago, uh, there were 49% of teenagers surveyed said their favorite way of connecting with their friends or hanging out with their friends uh, was through face-to-face -face interaction. So, so actually looking into the face of a homo sapien. Uh, by last year, 2018, that number had dropped down to 32%. The preferred method of engagement is, is digital communication, texting. Uh, now, now, I realize uh, that all the adults in the room are getting ready to foment uh, shock and outrage, uh, but let me just mention that um, there was another study that found that four out of 10 adult Americans would rather lose their voice for a day than lose their phone for 24 hours. In fact, the study went on to show that a third of all adults, a third of all adults in the survey would rather give up sex for a week than go one day without their phone. In fact, let's just do a quick a show of hands. No, just don't, no uh, don't do that. Uh, but yeah, I don't think there's any question. We have lots of opportunities to connect. But, but what we don't see is a whole lot of connection and, and communication. It sort of reminds me of that, uh, of that great uh, story told by the, the philosopher and thinker, Irma Bombeck. Uh, she talks about uh, one morning everybody's getting ready for work and for school in the household, you know, and so this teenage girl yells out, has anybody seen my sweater? And the grandmother starts in first. She goes, oh, you mean the one with the low neckline? And then the dad says, oh, you mean the one that costs 90 bucks? And the mom says, you mean the one I have to hand wash in cold water, dear? And, and the sister goes, oh, you mean the one you like never let me like borrow? And, and, and the little brother goes, oh, you mean the one that makes you look fat? I mean, all these people are talking, right? But there's not much connection, not much communication. And yet when it comes to living out the Christian life, just in everyday practical terms, let's be honest, the mouth, the mouth is where the action is. Um, I think that's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 makes such a point uh, of talking about the way we communicate with each other. He wants us to understand that speech is a vital part of the process he describes as putting off the old self and putting on the new self in Christ. In fact, look, just look back real uh, quick at the text, verse 25. 
Paul offers six examples of the kind of death and decay of the old life that that are going to need to be uh, peeled away if we want to actually enjoy the new life, the abundant life opened up to us through Christ. And so he mentions lying, unholy anger, stealing, corrupting talk, bad temper, blasphemy, and probably five uh, out of six of the examples he gives us, the primary active issue is speech. It's speech. It's the way we use our mouths. So what we're going to do this week and next week is zoom in on three of those trouble spots, okay? Three specific areas that we need to work on. We're going to, if we're going to put off the zombie habits of the old life and, and put on the new life to which we've been called in Christ. Three specific areas, and they all have to do with the mouth, uh, with the way we communicate. Paul actually spells them out explicitly in this passage, beginning in verse 25. Uh, Each with a negative word of instruction, uh, what to put off, and then with a positive word of instruction, what to put on. So look at verse 25. Paul says, put away falsehood, speak the truth. Then verses 26 to 29, put away evil talk, speak to build up. Then verse 31, put away bitterness, speak with kindness. Now we're only going to look at at the first of these commands in our time together this morning, uh, but then we'll get down and dirty next week uh, with the second and third uh, commands. Let's begin this morning with verse 25, put away falsehood, put away falsehood. Paul writes, therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, I'm guessing uh, most of us here this morning understand the import uh, of that word, therefore. This is uh, something that we remind you of uh, often from this platform. Anytime in the Bible you see the word, therefore, what do you ask yourself? That's right. What is it, therefore? What is it there for? And in this case, it's, it's very clear. Paul is pointing to the foolishness of trying to live out the new life without putting off the sin of the old life. It, it's, it's almost like he's describing somebody who died and was buried. And then now after several years, they've come back from the dead, but they still want to say wear the same smelly clothes they were buried in, right? It'd be like uh, showing up at your wedding wearing a dirty diaper. It's just, it's kind of nuts. And Paul's saying, look, look, now that we've been washed clean by the blood of Christ and and we've been raised to a new life and we've been empowered by his Holy Spirit, let's live like it. Let's live like it. Look, verse 24, by putting on the righteousness and holiness of Christ in our daily lives. Conduct, And that's where we almost immediately see verse 25, that there's not much about our daily conduct that doesn't have to do with the way we communicate. So Paul begins, therefore, therefore, putting away falsehood, let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor. Now, when we see that word falsehood, uh, it should remind us right off the bat that, that sin is fundamentally all sin is fundamentally an act of dishonesty. Sin, sin began back in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden uh, with hiding, with a lie. And, and Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that pretty much every single sin since that day is rooted in a spirit of deceit and denial and, and suppression of the truth about God. But, but what we need to notice here is that Paul gives us a very practical reason 
from putting away falsehood. If you look at the text, he says, we put away falsehood because we're members one of another. We're members one of another. In other words, we're, we're interconnected with each other the way body parts are interconnected with each other. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, for example, if parts of your body lied to other parts of your body? So you're touching a hot stove, but, but your fingers don't want to tell you the truth about that. Or, or you're walking uh, toward the wall and you crash into it because your eyes thought it'd be a cute prank, you know, to kind of let you think you have several more feet. Or you're looking at the mirror and your eyes tell you, you're looking good. Uh, it's not funny. And, and, and in other words, if your body, if your body can't trust your body, You'd be afraid to move. You'd be, you'd be afraid to touch. You'd be afraid to talk, afraid to, uh, to hear, afraid to reach out. You'd be immobilized, right? I mean, we, we, you would be a living, dead person. And that's the picture that Paul is pointing us to in verse 25. He says, look, we have to speak the truth with each other, even if it might be truth we don't want to hear because we're members. We're members, all of us, one of another. We can't be the body of Christ we're called to be if we're unwilling to speak the truth. There can't be life or, or movement or joy or true worship or intimacy or unity in a body of liars because there's no trust in a body of liars. Uh, untruth and, and deceit um, in the body of Christ is like leprosy in a human relationship. It, it leads to decay and it kills our life together. And, and this is very much uh, consistent throughout Scripture. For example, in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, we read, these are the things which you shall do. Speak truth to one another, render in your gates judgment that are true, and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath for all these things. I hate, says the Lord. And notice that last phrase, these things I hate, says the Lord. If you didn't think God was capable of, of hate, it says so right here in Zechariah chapter 8, God hates deceit. And it's funny, you know, there are some sins of the tongue that take a while to really, to really develop. I mean, when you're just a child, for example, really your only go-to annoyance with your mouth is, is crying. And, and maybe whining. And, and even by your elementary or middle school years, you're only starting to really work on your gossip game. And, and, and you don't really develop your snark skills until you're a teenager. And, and, and it's not until college, until most of us really come into our own with rationalization and self-delusion. Uh, and then, of course, your guilt trip abilities, well, they don't really come into full flower until adulthood, right? Usually until after you've had a couple of kids uh, to practice on. But here's the thing about lying. Most of us basically come out of the womb ready to lie. I mean, almost as soon as you learn to talk, you learn to say stuff that simply isn't true. And of course, everyday life gives us tons of opportunities, doesn't it, to practice uh, deceit, right? There's, there's all the kind of normal run-of-the-mill lies that we all know about. You know, I didn't take the cookie, and you know, I didn't cut down the cherry tree, and, and my brother hit me first, 
Uh, I would have been home on time, Mom, but some of the guys wanted to keep praying and reading their Bibles. Uh, you know, uh, or I'm not going to report any extra income. Or I did my homework, remember that one, but the dog ate it. You don't have a dog. My sister ate my dog. Uh, oh, how about this one? Oh, yes, our daughter has a rowing scholarship at Stanford. We're very, very proud. Nowadays, of course, with the internet, I mean, there are whole new vistas of deceit open up to us, right? Because now we've got the potential of the cyber lie, right? So we can foment rage by spreading stories across social media, even when we don't know they're true or maybe suspect they're only partially true. And we can slander other people by spreading uh, stories we only think we know or we misrepresent ourselves by, by leaving out hard parts of our own story that we obviously do know. We curate images of ourselves uh, online that, that make us look like someone we're not. I mean, if, if, I don't know, if, by the way, if you ever get a chance, go, there's a, go to the app store and look up uh, apps that help you to essentially edit your own selfie so you don't look like you. Is it editing selfies so you don't like you? There's stuff like Facetune, Beauty Mirror, Cream Cam, which smooths your skin. Uh, you may think I'm kidding. One survey of 2,000 adults, 18 and over in this country, showed that nearly two-thirds of Americans who have posted a photo online, 64%, admit to having edited it prior to posting it online. Now, now granted, some of these apps are amazing. Uh, <laughs> But, but let's be clear, this, this, you know, what's going on here is deceit, right? Whether we try to hide the blemishes and tough stuff about our own life or where we try to accentuate and, and, and gossip about, about the tough stuff in another person's life, this is the kind of dishonesty, everyday dishonesty that, that sows seeds of mistrust and, and envy and, and insecurity in our relationships and in the body of Christ. And Paul's quite clear about this. This is not the fruit. This is not the fruit we would expect from a person who is rooted in Christ. We must put away falsehood. We must put away falsehood. And in its place, we do something radical and potentially risky. We speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. Let, let's go back just a few verses earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul writes, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now let's Notice carefully that, that, that very first phrase, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth, which is five words, five words, but those five words are, are almost like a, a, a corrective lens that, that keep us from distorting what authentic truth-telling is, is all about. Because there are basically two ways, I think, that, that typically we lose our focus in speaking the truth. The first one is, um, is when we want so badly to be loving uh, that, that um, we kind of back away from speaking the truth. In other words, it, that, that sort of leaves our truth-telling fuzzy and, and blurry and out of focus. Our, our intention is kindness, um, but the Bible reminds us that, that 
one of the key ways that we can show kindness to a brother or sister is to speak to them truthfully. Even if it's an uncomfortable conversation, and often it will be. Like, I don't want to hear that the test came back positive. But it's not kind for the doctor to spare me the pain of a true diagnosis if that disease is going to cripple me. And, and yeah, it'll probably be a hard conversation, but it just might also be the first step towards my healing and holiness. And maybe you're thinking, well, Duffy, hold on a minute. I mean, surely you don't mean we always tell the truth. Like, aren't there, aren't there some occasions where we sort of fudge a little bit, you know? I mean, I, I, you, I, I know you can't be saying that the even little white lies are, are, are sin. My response to that is tune into Postscript this week because I'm going to talk about that there. We have a little bit more time to discuss it. But for now, let's be clear. The bottom line is dodging the truth in an effort to love leaves us with sentimental, sappy, dishonest relationships that lack authentic accountability and caring confrontation. That's, it's, it's sloppy agape. In fact, the writer of Proverbs in chapter 27 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We're called, all of us, always, in our relationships, in our conversations, even if it's hard, even if it's risky, even if it's complicated to speak the truth. But when we speak the truth, we must always speak the truth in love, in love. Uh, you see, the second, the second uh, two words there in Ephesians 4.15 points to the other distortion in our communication inside and outside the church. Some of us are really good at speaking the truth, but what we're not too good at is speaking the truth in love, in love. You know, there's actually a passage in the book of Judges. I don't know if you've ever seen this, uh, but there's a prophet by the name of Ed. E-H-U-D. And he goes to visit this Moabite king named Eglon because, because he's been given a, a message by God to deliver. And, uh, and let me just actually read to you the short passage. It's not long. Judges chapter 3. And Ed came to Eglon as the king was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ed said, I have a message from God for you. And he rose from his seat and Ed reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Ed went out into the porch, closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him, and locked them. Holy cow. Now, uh, yeah, and let me just say, first of all, that this passage has always been a little bit of a challenge for people who publish children's picture Bibles. Uh, I, 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 well, I will say this. If you are ever doing a, a Bible study for a group of middle school guys, this is your passage. I mean, this has got everything, right? You, you got the sword, you got the blade, you got the belly, you got the fat, you got the dung spilling out. I mean, this, this is pure gold. Uh, but men and women, as an approach to communicating truth, even if you're convinced you have a message from God, this is not the strategy to fulfill the mission. Please, brothers and sisters, let's not forget, good news delivered badly just sounds like bad news. 
Yeah, it's true. The sword of the Spirit, it, it can be used as a scalpel to cut out cancerous parts of the soul, but it can also be used as a dagger that simply leaves people bleeding and wounded. Love is not an excuse to waffle, but truth is not an excuse to harm, which, of course, makes loving, honest engagement hard work. It's not for the faint of heart, and yet it's the only way to really open up our relationship to full, free, authentic communication. We're called to speak the truth in love. Now, because I realize this isn't easy, and I don't want to make it sound easy, as I wrap up this morning, I want to just offer a few practical suggestions uh, for you to, you to think about. And the first one is simply this, and, and, and this is probably something that most of us intuit anyway, but it's the old basic idea that you have to earn the right to be heard. You have to earn the right to be heard. Here's a, here's a good rule of thumb. Don't offer correction when you have no connection. Don't offer correction when you have no connection. You know, when my daughters were growing up, um, I used to take each daughter to breakfast every other week. And, and I started that just when they were little girls, little girls, and I did it all the way through high school. One girl one week, one girl the next week. And when they were little girls, they thought it was amazing that we would get to go and eat McBreakfast and, and share some processed food wrapped in wax paper. Uh, and they couldn't believe their, their good fortune. By the time they got to high school, if they were going to get up early and have a breakfast with dad, we had to go to the embassy suite where they had a full buffet. And they go, dad, how come you're not eating? I say, sweetheart, we can't both afford to have breakfast. Uh, you enjoy your fruit and your pork. Daddy will have some cereal when he gets home. But, but uh, what I want you to understand is, of course, of course, the whole intent of, of having those breakfasts was I wanted to set the stage for conversations. I wanted to provide a space where I could just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It was going to happen no matter what. It was going to happen on a regular basis where we could just talk about stuff, sometimes significant stuff. But what I also want you to understand is that those kind of conversations did not happen every week. In other words, I didn't feel like, oh my gosh, every breakfast has to be this serious, soul-probing conversation. Honey, pass the orange juice and let's talk about fornication. You know, if you do that, you know, every time someone mentions bacon, they're going to get a nervous tick. You know, and so I'm, I, I, what I want us to understand is that you might have to have 10 breakfasts so that you can have a serious conversation at the 11th breakfast. And this is what I've discovered about a lot of parents and about a lot of friends is we don't want to have the first 10 conversations. We just want to have the 11th one. It doesn't work like that. We have to earn the right to be heard. Connection always has to come before correction. Don't try to speak the truth to someone you don't love. Here's another suggestion. Um, it's not what you say, it's what they hear that really matters. It's not what you say, it's what they hear that really matters. Two people, we know this, can hear the exact same story, right? And go away from the conversation with two totally different narratives. I, I, I came across this uh, TV listing a while back. It was describing the Wizard of Oz uh, for Turner Classic Movies. And listen to this synopsis. Transported to a surreal landscape, a young girl kills the first person she meets and then teams up with three strangers to kill again. 
fantastic. Let's show this to our children annually. <laughs> I mean, I think we've all had that experience there, right? Where, where you know, you, you, you know exactly the story you intended to tell. You know exactly what you intended to say, but somebody heard a completely different story. And, and, and listen, we human beings have a unique capacity to hear badly. We have a unique capacity to hear wrongly. And, and let me say, social media parades that capacity across our screens almost nonstop. I mean, it doesn't take very many tweets before you begin to suspect that maybe, maybe 280 characters of communication limits our ability for clarity. Uh, you know, I mean, if you want to show your cat video or your dog dressed up as Dumbledore, that's awesome. Uh, you know, that, that's fantastic. Facebook, Snapchat, uh, Instagram, that, that's, that's your game. But, but let's try, let's try to make our default face-to-face voice-to-voice interaction. Let's try to make that the norm, if at all possible. It gives us a better chance to get the story right. That's why the word become flesh instead of the word become tweet, Uh, you know, or the word become Instagram. If if you're going to tell your story and you're going to tell it truthfully, make sure that the story someone hears is the story you intended to tell. And, and, that, and make sure the story you heard from someone else is the story they intended you to hear. We owe to each other that, that, that extra labor of clarity, that extra labor of clarity. It's not just what you say, it's what they hear. And let me just offer one more suggestion, it's this. Love does not require you to speak every truth that pops into your brain. Love does not require you to speak every truth that pops into your brain. I saw this cartoon not too long ago. It's a pretty good reminder. The first person yells, are you coming to bed? The second one says, this is important. The first one says, what is it? The second one says, someone said something wrong on the internet. I must correct it. Folks, listen to me. Trust me. The kingdom of God is not going to collapse because you decide not to speak the truth in response to every single post you disagree with on social media. Let's let humility, patience, and tolerance guard our mouths. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, referred to this as the ministry of holding your tongue. The ministry of holding your tongue. Sometimes the best way to speak lovingly is by remaining silent. Of course, those of you who are married already know that. (laughs) It's hard, it's risky. Putting away falsehood and speaking the truth, uh, but that's the mark of a new life in Christ. That's what it looks like to have a life under construction. If you did watch that Chernobyl series like I did, you'll probably remember that um, the horror as these guys um, began to experience the burns and the poison and quite literally the fallout of the environment that they realized that when they left that work site after their cleanup shift, uh, it was absolutely critical that they be washed clean, that their, that their contaminated clothing uh, had to be carefully, uh, completely removed and buried because that contaminated clothing, it would kill them. And, and some of them took seriously the risks and the warnings, and, and some of them didn't. And for those who didn't, it was a tragic and deadly uh, mistake. It's with that kind of urgency that God's word pleads with us this morning.
to put off the old self with its poisonous, radioactive habits of lying and deceit and put on the new self of life with Christ. Now, for some of us here this morning, maybe we still don't see the risk of, of, of living the old life, the, the life contaminated by, by sin and by pride and deceit. But brothers and sisters, the scripture is very, very clear about this. At some point, the fallout will become obvious. Broken marriages, poisoned relationships, contaminated hearts and minds, a landscape that is absolutely toxic. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. And that's why I don't want us to close this morning without giving you a chance to come to the one Lord and Savior who can wash us clean from the contamination of sin. I'm going to ask you to bow your head as we close this morning. Maybe you've never made any kind of decision to ask God to forgive you. You might just be visiting with us here today at Faith Bridge, which is awesome. That's fantastic. We don't know you, but God knows your heart. He knows the contaminants that are already poisoning your soul. He knows every word that we speak. I want to invite you this morning. God invites us to come, ask him to forgive your sin, to wash you clean through Jesus' blood on the cross. You can be raised up to a new life of holiness and righteousness in him. You can lay off all the old contaminated clothing of the zombie life and become a new creature in Christ. You could do that. You don't maybe have all the information. You don't know everything, but you're ready to say, I know one thing. There's poison, and my mouth is a reactor spewing forth toxic stuff, and I need to give my heart and my tongue to Jesus. Or maybe there's some of you this morning, you've already made that decision, but you know there's still that decay of sin in your life. You, you see it in the conversation you have with your children or with your spouse or with people at work, or even the kind of stuff you listen to, and, and you're beginning to realize, yes, there's some toxins there that are poisoning the landscape of my heart. And it may not feel like it, it may not seem like it, but it's killing me. And this morning, you can come to the Lord of life, who specializes in raising dead things. And you can say, Lord, give me your life. Help me to put off the old self of the walking dead. I'm going to I'm going to cease to speak here for just a moment. I'm going to give you a chance to talk to God. You know, in some ways, the truest form of speaking the truth in love is confession because it's speaking the truth to God because we know he loves us. So right now in this moment, I'm just going to give you an opportunity. You talk to God. You know your heart. You know the toxin. You know the deceit. Why don't you bring it to him right now in this moment, right now? Lord, how many families, how many individuals in this room are living and in our own little man-made Chernobyl, a place of radioactive speech with dishonesty and foul talk and toxic conversation. 
Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are the only one who can provide the great cleanup. You're the only one who can actually renew us and take us from dead people to living people. Pray this morning, Lord, that you would haunt us with this possibility, with the hope of a new life, with the promise of your deep, unconditional love. Thank you that we could come here today and study your word and get this promise again that we can be made new in Jesus. We pray this, Lord, in the Master's mighty name. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. I'm Michael Sullivan, business administrator here at FaithBridge, and it's a special Postscript because we're joined by our teacher of the day, Duffy Robbins. Thanks for being here, Duffy. Yeah, my pleasure. We've just been uh, in a series called Life Under Construction, and Duffy today was talking to us about speaking the truth in love. And so, Duffy, in the sermon, you were mentioning, hey, stick around for Postscript. I'm going to (laughs) cover... white lies and what do we do with that uh so tell us what do we do when it comes to white lies? actually when i said that i was being deceitful (laughs) no no yeah no it's it's funny because um of course whenever i you know come here and when i'm writing my sermon i'm thinking through and praying through the passage and like all the other folks that preach here and Mm -hmm. and uh and one of the questions that that kind of kept coming back to was this question of white lies. Mm. And, and just to make sure we're all on the same page by what we mean by white lie, we're talking about, you know, are, are there ever times when it's appropriate to say something that's not true for the sake of feelings, saving, mm. you know, just to, because you have, you know, you have kind of a choice. You go, well, I, I, I don't, I want to speak the truth, but I also don't want to hurt this person's feelings or mm-hmm. there's really nothing to be gained by telling me this. And I, it could be anything from, um, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're, you're on your deathbed dying and, uh, you know, is it good for your, you know, somebody to come in and say, I got to just really get some stuff off my chest, yeah. you know. Is that really the most loving, <laughs> is that what God wants you to get in there quickly uh-huh. before he dies? Tell him everything. Right. Um, or, you know, it might even be, you know, do you, if someone, if someone tells you that your family member is dying, you know, do you go quickly to the family member and, and sort of eliminate any hope mm. and you say, no, you know, <laughs> appreciate your cheerfulness, but it ain't going to happen. You're, right. you're going to die. And the doctor says it could be today. I mean, just, or, or even just everyday stuff like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Brad Paisley um, has a song uh, I'm, I'm a little bit of a Brad Paisley fan. He has a song um, where he says, there ain't a woman in the world who wants to hear the word yes when she asks you if she looks chubby in her new dress. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, if she cooks all day, you got to eat it with a smile, uh, even if it tastes just like bad rubber on a Goodyear tire. And then the chorus goes, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we all bend the truth. That's something that you have to get used to. And he goes on to say, that's love. You'll see we all commit a little bit of perjury. Uh-huh. And, um, and having been married 46 years, I get what he's talking about. Uh-huh. And so, uh, so that's, that's the question. Right. Because, because what I tried to say today, and I think this is a pretty 
represent good representation of what Scripture teaches is that God hates deceit. Mm-hmm. We are called to speak the truth. Mm-hmm. And so my struggle as I was kind of praying through and thinking about this week is, do how do I talk about the possibility or 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 the appropriateness of white lies? And um, and and I began to realize that as I kind of researched it and thought about it, that first of all, I myself am still conflicted. Mm-hmm. Um, but plus, uh, there's that it's it's a wisdom issue. In other words, I, I think that it's not hard and fast, but I also think that once you start to nuance almost anything, mm-hmm. like speak the truth, then 800 people in the auditorium will think, oh, well then my my particular deceit is appropriate. Mm. And, and I guess I worry about um, giving people permission to do something that God does not permit. Mm. And so, um, I decided I wasn't going to be able to nuance it. I wasn't going to be able to say enough about it mm-hmm. to, to sort of really weigh uh, the fact that this is what God says. Um, but there are other things that God says about kindness and about love and about you know, affirmation or mm-hmm. hurtful words that, that you know, counterbalance. And it's not just math. Uh, you, you have to use wisdom you have to be guided by the spirit mm-hmm. uh, so that that's kind of that's kind of the you know the the uh, perplexed place I found myself mm-hmm. in the thing so to go back to your question uh, what do I about why lies um, let's close in prayer no actually so yeah I guess I've kind of come to a point where I'm not prepared to say that that's that it's always wrong to do that mm-hmm. Um, I can think of a couple examples, in fact, where I, right in the scripture, where it was completely appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one in the scripture and in one um, in, in just everyday life. Um, one, of the, one of the classic white lies in scripture is um, in the Old Testament where uh, the spies, Caleb and Joshua and the other guys, mm-hmm. came over to spy out the new land. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and of course, uh, when the Canaanites heard that these guys were there, they came to the house of a woman named Rahab, who was mm-hmm. also a prostitute. And, um, and they said, Is, are these guys there? And mm-hmm. she said, no, she lied. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they were able to escape because she hung this scarlet thread from her window. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what's interesting is in, in Hebrews chapter 11, she's actually affirmed for her faith. Mm. Now, Having said that, it sounds like, oh, okay, so then I guess it is okay to lie if you're saving, uh, you know, biblical characters uh, from certain death. But the, but the writer of Hebrews doesn't actually affirm her for her, uh, for her deceit. He affirms her for her faith. And her faith, in this case, was manifest by her willingness to, to, to lie. Um, and so uh, it's not quite as, it's not neat and clean. Um, Maybe, maybe neater and cleaner um, in some ways would be the story, for example, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I also quoted in today's sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you know this, Sully, but Bonhoeffer and a group of guys were a part of a plot to kill Hitler. Mm-hmm. So now you've got an added perplexity okay. because one thing to lie, it's another thing to actually commit murder. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course they were going, we don't think God approves of murder, mm-hmm. but we're trying to prevent the murder of six million people. people. 
And, um, and so uh, they, they were times they had to use deceit. I mean, they couldn't be open and truthful about their intentions mm-hmm. uh, or they couldn't have succeeded. Now, somebody could argue, well, they shouldn't have succeeded because they're trying to murder Hitler. But mm-hmm. uh, if, if it were my parents in the prison uh, or if it were me in the prison, I'd be really grateful. Mm-hmm. I'd be praying that God would intervene mm-hmm. on my behalf right. and somehow in this guy's wicked reign. Right. Uh, maybe, speaking of Hitler, though, the even more prominent, better known case would be Corey Ten Boom. Mm-hmm. Some of our listeners might remember that uh, she and her family, uh, they were actually hiding Jews uh, during uh, the initial u- uh, years of the Holocaust uh, in their home uh, because they knew that if they were going to be arrested, they were going to be t- deported and probably killed. Mm-hmm. And, and so that required almost daily acts of deceit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she's sort of held up as a, as a person who is, who is uh, righteous and, and vigorous in her faith, which I think indeed she was. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that, 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 that reminds us that it's just not so neat and clean. Now, mm-hmm. it's a long jump to go from Corey Ten Boom hiding Jews who might be you know, sent to a gas chamber mm-hmm. and saying to your wife, no, sweetheart, uh, oh my gosh, you look like you've lost 40 pounds. Yeah. Uh, that dress uh, makes you look almost yeah. uh, like a little bit hungry. Um, you know, I, I remember, I don't know if you remember the the, uh, the Geico commercial where um, Abraham Lincoln's wife is getting dressed <laughs> and, yeah. and she says to Abe, do you think this dress makes me look chubby? And he really struggles existentially, honest Abe, hey. what's he gonna do? And he goes, perhaps a little. Yeah. And she goes, oh. You know, and, and you go, uh, is that really, is it necessary? Mm-hmm. Is that necessary? Now, there are a thousand, a thousand, uh, I can think of a thousand examples where it might have been really, it might be the most loving thing to do to say to someone, well, as a matter of fact, this is what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Or, well, what I've noticed is this. And how do you think I did? And it couldn't even be like, I mean, I'm a college professor. I teach Christian ministry at Grove City College. If a student says to me, Duffy, what did you think of my talk? Well, not only are they paying for my honest opinion, Mm -hmm. but for me to fulfill my mission at Grove City, I need to give them my honest opinion. I want to train these people to be capable ministers of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So even though it might hurt their feeling a little bit, and even though they might like me better and Mm -hmm. give me a better eval, Mm -hmm. if they go, you know, it's, it's, I have to speak the truth mm-hmm. in love. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I guess if, you're, if you were hoping, if you tuned in uh, that, oh, okay, Duffy's going to give us a, a clear, you know, deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we were talking about adultery, if we were talking about, you know, other, there's some other sins I could think could be pretty cut and dried. Mm-hmm. But um, I, can, I can conceive in my mind of circumstances where it might be permissible. Having said that, it's, always, always uh, risky to, to say something is permissible that God doesn't permit. Mm-hmm. And so I want to counter this by saying this, this is, like Paul says, you know, not the Lord, but I. So this is I, not the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to be obedient to what the Lord says. And, and I'm wrestling through it to try to figure exactly how it plays out. Mm-hmm. I know that the Christian life um, in the in the mess and muck of everyday life uh, requires that we go beyond just this just 
It's just not clear-cut choices. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you say, okay, Sally's going on a date, who's she going to date? The Apostle Paul or, you know, uh, you know, Epstein, you know, the, 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 I can't remember the guy's first name, but, you know, well, that's easy. Mm -hmm. But real life doesn't often play out that easy. Right. And so I, I, my concern at the end of the thing with Sully, I thought, here's what could happen. Mm -hmm. One of two bad results. If I, if I, and it could happen even as a result of this, but I hope maybe the nuance will help it. Mm -hmm. But one thing is you could have a bunch of people who leave Faith Bridge today feeling guilty mm -hmm. because they actually said to their daughter, honey, that is an amazing potholder. Mommy is so excited that you gave me that. Mm -hmm. Liar. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't want a bunch of people leaving feeling guilty. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also don't want a people, bunch of people going, okay, all right. If anybody asks me my opinion, I'm going to let them have it. Right. How'd you like the meatloaf? Oh, my gosh. It was awful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I know there are times you can do workarounds. You can go, well, I'm going to tell you something about that meatloaf. I've never tasted anything like it. You know, there, there are times when you can kind of fudge your way through it. Right. I'm not sure that's speaking the truth. Well, I guess it is true. You've never tasted anything <laughs> like it. But I'm just saying I didn't want, I didn't want, Next week, we find out there are 10 marriages on the rocks because both partners start saying, oh, this, we're going to just start speaking the truth to each other mm -hmm. and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. But I also don't want people to default to our natural kind of sinful position. Mm -hmm. You know, Anselm talked about we're curved on ourselves and, and sort of go, well, okay, then I guess mm -hmm. what she doesn't know won't hurt her. Right. Or, you know, this is this is for the kids or this is I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden we just continue to multiply the deceits in our lives. And scripture tells us God hates deceit. Mm -hmm. Well, I think some of what you're pointing out is the heart behind it. And uh -huh. I think sometimes in these situations uh, we think that we are protecting the other person. But in reality, I'm trying to protect myself. myself. And That's I think right. what you in some of these bigger uh, examples that you cited is people who were genuinely trying to protect the other person. Uh, and I think that's probably key to factor in when Absolutely. you're thinking about wisdom uh, and applying to these situations is, is it for my pride? Is it for my selfishness? Or is it really for the good of the other person? Yeah. But yeah. I appreciate you addressing it because I'm sure there were some people out there. And, and like you said, what you don't want to do is, is crack the door inch and people take a mile and you also don't want to slam the door completely shut. Yeah, so yeah. I understand. I appreciate your honesty to say, hey, I'm, I'm wrestling through this. I'm looking at the scripture and trying to discern as well. Yeah. And I think that that's Yeah, helpful. I'm going to read some more about it. Actually, a buddy, uh, one of my colleagues at Grove City College, Carl Truman, recommended a couple of books, but I'd already left town. This is, I'm, I'm, I've been traveling for mm -hmm. a while. And uh, and so I got to wait until I can get back mm -hmm. Uh to, to look at those books because supposedly, according to Carl, there's these writers actually wrestle with precisely that, that question. Hmm. So yeah, that, that's the thing. You can appreciate why I didn't want to put this in the sermon. It would have been an hour and a half uh, message. You know? Yes, and people might have left uh, saying, wait, what a second. So anyway, yeah, yeah glad yeah. that you addressed it here. Well, Thank you guys for tuning in to this postscript with Duffy. We'll be back with Duffy next week as we continue our Life Under Construction series. We'll see you then.
Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.